Hello, welcome to The Pocket Contemplative. I'm Dave Smelser. Good to be with you. This week, I want to talk about a very practical thing in the contemplative life, which is that we often resist any spiritual practice because we just don't want to do it when the moment comes. And with things like meditation or kind of that sort of quiet spirituality that we talk about here, I think the resistance only goes up. And so I found myself thinking back to a famous book written, I don't even remember when, I should have looked this up, uh, a while back called The War of Art by a man named Stephen Pressfield. Perhaps you've heard of it. It may be the most famous thing he ever wrote, although at the time it was just a one-off. He was a novelist and um, he uh, is most known for uh, uh, novels about the Spartans and the Greeks and the Athenians, et cetera, in war. He did write a book which became a movie called The Legend of Bagger Vance, which was a famous bomb, but perhaps you saw that one. Anyway, Stephen Pressfield. And he wrote a one-off book at the time about the creative process, and somebody had recommended it to me some years ago, and I remember both reading it and then listening to it on audiobook and really enjoying it, but kind of forgetting why. And when I went back to it, I realized, oh, what he's most famous for is for talking about resistance, resistance to getting your work done. But then many people have then talked about that. He became important around that, and so he wrote some subsequent books just about that. And if you look on the internet, people are interacting with him still about that. And it comes up in a variety of ways, which we'll touch on in just a minute here. It definitely comes up in terms of contemplative practice, like why do we resist? And Pressfield has things to say about that. I think Pressfield, he's at least a theist and, and might be a Christian. I'm not sure. In fact, I'm not even sure if he's alive or dead. Should have looked that up. Uh, all to say, Pressfield. But the other people who interact with him quite a bit are life coaches, because they're helping people try to meet their goals. Well, what's the barrier to people's goals? Well, it's resistance. So of course, life coaches have a lot to say about it, and a lot of them interact with Pressfield and his perspective. So I thought I would just pass it on to you. We've been talking about it in some of our online Journey On groups, by the way. Check those out if you'd like, journey-on.net. We'll tell you more about them. And this has been a popular subject, so I thought perhaps you would enjoy hearing about it. And while I'm telling you about other online things, uh, let me mention that we have these short videos, which we started putting out there a minute or less uh, daily. And we'll see if I can keep up the pace. But they are on Instagram and under my name, Dave, I think it's underscore Schmelzer, S-C-H-M-A-L-Z-E-R. And I'm sorry, we haven't been able to consolidate our brand very well yet. So they're on different things on different platforms. They're on TikTok under the Pocket Contemplative, a name that should be familiar to you. They are um, at YouTube at Journey On. They are at Facebook at the Journey On page. So you can find them at all those places. But check them out. They're a minute long. Feel free to pass them on. Wouldn't bother me at all. Let's see if the algorithm works for getting the sort of message out to the world. All right. Let's get moving with Embrace Resistance. So again, the most famous writer, I think, on this subject is Stephen Pressfield in his book, The War of Art. And he talks about resistance as if resistance is personified. Resistance gets a capital R in Stephen Pressfield's world. Let me give you a few of his kind of noteworthy quotes about this, and we'll just schmooze about it a bit. He says, most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. Between the two stands resistance, capital R. So there's what we want and there's where we are. I also will do a little bit of a Bible tour about how resistance might get talked about as people at least on the internet embrace this. But one scripture that comes immediately to mind about resistance from the Bible point of view is Romans chapter seven. Paul says, the stuff I wanna do, I seem to not do. And then he has more to say about, about that dynamic. Well, resistance, right? Something even for St. Paul, the stuff he wants to do, there's some personified thing, capital R resistance keeping him from it. What can we do about that? Pressfield says, well, 
Additionally, the more important a call or action to our soul's evolution, the more resistance we will feel towards pursuing it. St. Paul again, really important stuff, really high resistance. Resistance, Pressfield says, will tell you anything to keep you from doing your work. If you take resistance at its word, you deserve everything you get. Procrastination is the most common manifestation of resistance because it's the easiest to rationalize. We don't tell ourselves, I'm never going to write my symphony. Instead, we say, I am going to write my symphony. I'm just going to start tomorrow. If you were meant to cure cancer, Pressfield continues, or write a symphony or crack cold fusion, and you don't do it, not only hurt yourself, even destroy yourself, you hurt your children. You hurt me. You hurt the planet. He goes on rants in this book. You shame the angels who watch over you, and you spite the Almighty who created you and only you with your unique gifts for the sole purpose of nudging the human race one millimeter farther along its path back to God. Don't cheat us of your contribution. Give us what you've got. So that is part of his premise here is that you have been created to do some stuff that is your stuff to do. So let's get on with it. Let's do it. And it, he's, again, writing to artists, The War of Art. And um, so if there's that symphony, you should write. But any task that is yours to do, he says, you got to give us what you've got. But the more important it is, the more resistance you're going to face. Um, he says, look, it's not all bad. If you sit down and do the work you've been given to do or the spiritual practice you've been given to do, and you sit down for your 20-minute meditation and prayer time and you do it, good stuff happens. When we sit down each day, he says, and do our work, power concentrates around us. The muse takes note of our dedication. She approves. We've earned favor in her sight. When we sit down and work, we become like a magnetized rod that attracts iron filings. Ideas come. Insights accrete. And I think that's the premise of, you know, the, the Trappist monks who talk about things like sacred words. So when you sit in meditation and your thoughts drift away, they encourage us as you're following your breathing, you realize your thoughts have drifted away to come back to your breathing. They say by use of a sacred word, anything that will help anchor you to the reality that God is with you in what's going on here. Um, so ideas accrete. It's like a magnetized, uh, magnetized rod will bring good things to you, including in things like meditative, meditative practice. We come into this world, he says, with a specific personal destiny. We have a job to do, a calling to enact, a self to become. We are who we are from the cradle and we're stuck with it. Our job in this lifetime is not to shape ourselves into some ideal we imagine we ought to be, but to find out who we already are and become it. So again, that's what, if we can overcome resistance, we find ourselves in the journey he feels. The amateur, he says, shows up on occasion. Now, this begins a big theme for him, and it's the theme of being a professional versus an amateur. So, so obviously, as an artist, the professional sits down and does his or her work. Um, the amateur does it when they want to. And so he becomes very known for this idea of the distinction between the professional and the amateur, but that can apply to spiritual practice. Are you a pro? Are you treating your spiritual practice as like a pro would? like an amateur would. He wrote a, a whole further book on that. And a lot of these internet uh, conversations around this idea became a biggie for him. So again, here's what he says. The amateur shows up on occasion. The professional shows up every day. The amateur treats the deal he made with him or herself a, as a negotiable contract. The professional abides by the terms of the contract. The amateur's life is about drama, denial, and distraction. The amateur craves dopamine like a junkie craves heroin. The professional recognizes that sources of distraction are toxic rocket fuel for resistance. 
The amateur engages trolls and argues with critics. The professional gets back to work. So you get a sense of that, that professional amateur dynamic. We'll come back to this in a minute. So let's think about this from some Bible perspectives, if only that may not be your thing, but it's my thing. So let me bring you into ways the Bible itself might talk about this. So St. Paul might talk about it, right? The thing I want to do, I don't seem to do. Um, the first thing I think you could argue the Bible says is expect resistance. So we get a scripture like this from Galatians 5. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's this fleshly desire that's targeting you to not do what you want to do. Expect resistance, the Bible seems to say. Uh, we get this in Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So keep going in that stuff, that great spiritual path you're on, but there's going to be tribulations keeping you from going on the journey. Resistance. God is eager to help. Another Bible perspective is if resistance is just the nature of life on planet Earth, God is ready to help out. Jeremiah 1 says, they will fight against you. Think of it as resistance. But they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you. So God's there. No problem. He'll help. Uh, Psalm 18 has the psalmist saying, for by you I can run upon a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. God will help. So go to God, which is the spirit, I think, of the sacred word idea. In your meditative practice, as you're anchored, and the sacred word I may not have mentioned is asking God for a word just between you and God, that when your thoughts are drifting away and you want to return to your breath, God gives you a word that you can kind of think of as you do that. So it's a word that would draw you back to God. So it might be God, or it might be Jesus, or it might be love, or whatever the word is, use that as, the, as the, the idea. But whatever it means for you to be in God's presence in this meditative experience um, gives God's power, is the idea. Um, there's this, these characters who come up only one point in the Bible, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, called the cloud of witnesses, all the great saints who've died. And we're given the idea, maybe it's whimsical, or maybe it's literal, I don't know, that the, all those people are sort of cheering us on, and that's meaningful. So we get this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. Let's go. Let's overcome resistance. All the great cloud of witnesses is cheering us on as if that's a meaningful thing. And finally, I think the Bible advice, at least that I'm giving, is then just get moving. Second Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So God's given us what we need, lets us go and, and move into this world, even though resistance is always lurking at the door. So I just started looking online to say, how do people talk about contemplative practice? Do they interact with Pressfield about this? Uh, what's the resistance conversation out there in uh, the ether world about this? And so I found some bloggers on this. Here's one with the handle Bodhipaska, he's at wildmind.org. He says, I used to think it would help to understand why I resisted meditation, but that really achieved anything. Ultimately, I found that the most important thing was not to analyze my resistance or to get into a debate with it, but to turn inward and embrace it. This is an important practice in mindful self-compassion. Just a second, I'm calling something up from Mr. Bodhipaska. So when resistance, he says, to meditation arises, try becoming mindful of the feelings that accompany this experience. Where are they situated in your body? 
What shape do they form? What texture do they have? What kind of thoughts do they give rise to? Notice these things and just be with the resistance. Let the resistance be an object of mindfulness. The other day, I just took his advice. I thought, wow, I'm sitting down for my little 20-minute moment, and I just, I feel clearly resistance. I just can't seem to settle down. And I tried to do a frontal assault, which is not even a contemplative choice, but there we go. I was not doing it right. And I thought, okay, just Dave, settle down. Come on, be still, fall. Breathing, I'm noticing my breathing. I was really fighting it. And I thought of Mr. Bodhi Paskin. I thought, well, what he's saying is just use the resistance as an object of your meditation. Oh, so this is what resistance feels like. What does it really feel like? I'm curious. Do I feel it in my body? Where do I feel it in my body? What else do I notice about resistance? And just get curious and then go from there. And it becomes then a meditation. So I took him at his word. Fantastic. Very helpful for me. Uh, he continues. Now, here's the thing. As soon as you become mindful of your resistance, you're already meditating, as I discovered. Your resistance is no longer a hindrance to developing mindfulness, but an opportunity to do it. And so wherever you are, you can just let your eyes close. Breathing in, experience the resistance. Breathing out, experience the resistance. Instead of arguing with your resistance, outsmart it. Surround it with mindful awareness and with kindness. If you find that the resistance goes on day after day, then set yourself a low bar for what counts as a day in which you meditate. Five minutes is fine. The only bad meditation is the one you don't do. All the others are fine, says Mr. Bodhipaska. And then I'm going to close with some thoughts from life coaches. Again, if they are the professionals who are trying to help their clients basically do this, overcome resistance, what, what do they have to say about this? First, they say become aware. Again, I just went to the blogosphere, and I found a man named Leo Babauta at zenhabits.net. He says, the problem usually is that we don't think about resistance. We don't understand it or even realize it's there most of the time. So we need to become aware, first point. Secondly, we need to become a pro, not an amateur. Become a pro. The pro knows that as long, this is again from Mr. Uh, Mr. Babaska, the pro knows that as long as he shows up and starts working, the rest will come. Approach the work like a pro. You'll get the work done. Thirdly, remember your why. It can be easy in the process of change. This is from another blogger whose name we'll give you in a minute. It can be easy in the process of change to get lost in the details or caught up in the flow of life's busyness. We sometimes forget why we want to change. Why is it important to us? How does it benefit us? To counter this, write down the benefits of changing and the disadvantages of not changing. This becomes your why and is a compelling reason to steer you through the highest levels of resistance. Place that compelling reason somewhere visible. Remind yourself of it often. For example, stick a note on the fridge, pantry door, or bathroom mirror, or make it the screensaver on your smartphone. This from a woman named Michelle Reese at wholelifechallenge.com, wholelifechallenge.com. That's her advice. So again, become aware. That's our first step. Um, contemplative practice should help us see the resistance and not just engage in it. Secondly, become a professional, not an amateur. You know, you're the person who will sit down because you're a pro. You're the amateur dilly-dallies, the pro realizes I've got to get to this, including towards spiritual practice. Third, remember your why. That seems hugely important. I was talking to someone about this stuff this morning who said that has been really a helpful bit of advice uh, about spiritual practice. Like, oh, man, I'm having trouble, she was saying, with some spiritual practice recently. But just sitting down and thinking, okay, why am I doing this? What are my benefits? And she was working on that. She thought, that's really helpful. Why do I want to do this at all? And then that gave her vision for going forward. So become aware, become a pro, remember your why. And the fourth bit of advice from life coaches is not brain surgery, just start. Become aware, become a pro, remember your why, just start. In the end, this is Mr. Babowska again, 
All the tips in the world won't make as much a difference as the simple and timeless instruction, just sit down and start. All right, well, I hope that helps you. That has been motivating to me, as you might've picked up in my tone here in this podcast. I love it. I love just acknowledging resistance is a force against us in anything meaningful we do, because I have things even beyond contemplative practice that are meaningful to me and that I experience resistance in, and this is all useful advice for me. Uh, remembering my why, uh, being a pro, not an amateur, being aware of it, incorporating resistance into my meditation rather than fighting it. All that's so useful to me, and I hope it'll be that way for you as well. All right, we'll talk again soon.